Chapter Seven of *The Mother's Recompense* by Edith Wharton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Anne Fletcher, Richmond, Tasmania, two thousand and twenty-one. Chapter Seven. Everyone noticed how beautifully it worked. The way, as Fred Landers said, she and Anne had hit it off from their first look at each other on the deck of the steamer. Enid Drover was almost emotional about it one evening when she and Kate sat alone in the Clifane drawing-room. It was after one of Anne's young dinners, and the other guests, with Anne herself, had been whirled off to some form of midnight entertainment. "'It's wonderful, my dear, how you've done it. Poor mother didn't always find Anne easy, you know. But she's taken a tremendous fancy to you.' Kate felt herself redden with pride. "'I suppose it's the novelty, partly,' Mrs. Drover continued, with her heavy-stepping simplicity. "'Perhaps that's an advantage, in a way.' But she pulled up, apparently feeling that in some obscure manner she might be offending where she sought to please. "'Anne admires your looks so much, you know, and your slightness.' A sigh came from her adipose depth. I do believe it gives one more hold over one's girls to have kept one's figure. One can at least go on wearing the kind of clothes they like. Kate felt an inward glow of satisfaction. The irony of the situation hardly touched her. The fact that the youth and elasticity she had clung to so desperately should prove one of the chief assets of her new venture. It was beginning to seem natural that everything should lead up to Anne this business of setting up a studio now and so pleased that you approve she had a struggle with her grandmother about it but poor mother wouldn't give in she was too horrified she thought paint so messy and then how could she have got up all those stairs oh well it was so easy to be generous that sort of thing did seem horrifying to Mrs. Clefane's generation. After all, it was not so long before her day that Dr. Johnson said portrait painting was indelicate in a female. Mrs. Drover gave her sister-in-law a puzzled look. Her mind seldom retained more than one word in any sentence, and her answer was based on the reaction that particular word provoked. Female she murmured. Is that word being used again? I never thought it very nice to apply it to women, did you? I suppose I'm old-fashioned. Nothing shocks the young people nowadays, not even the Bible. Nothing could have given Kate Clefane greater confidence in her own success than this little talk with Enid Drover. She had been feeling her way so patiently, so stealthily almost, among the outworks and defences of her daughter's character, and here she was, actually instated in the citadel. Anne's studio-warming strengthened the conviction. Mrs. Clefane had not been allowed to see the studio. Anne and Nolly and Joe Tresselton, for a breathless week, had locked themselves in with nails and hammers and pots of paint, sealing their ears against all questioning. Then one afternoon the doors were opened, and Kate, coming out of the winter twilight, found herself in a great half-lit room, with a single wide window overlooking the reaches of the sound, all jewelled and netted with lights, 
the fairy span of the Brooklyn Bridge and the dark roof forest of the intervening city. It all seemed strangely significant and mysterious in that disguising dusk, full of shadows, distances, invitations. Kate leaned in at the window, surprised at this brush of the wings of poetry. In the room, Anne had had the good taste to let the sense of space prolong itself. It looked more like a great library waiting for its books than a modern studio, as though the girl had measured the distance between that mighty nocturne and her own timid attempts, and wanted the implements of her art to pass unnoticed. They were sitting, Mrs. Clefane, the Joe Tresseltons, and one or two others, about the teacups set out at one end of a long oak table, when the door opened and Lilla Gates appeared, tawny and staring, in white furs and big pendulous earrings. She brought with her a mingled smell of cigarettes and oubirons, and as she stood there, circling the room with her sulky, contemptuous gaze, Kate felt a movement of annoyance. Why must one forever go on being sorry for Lilla? she wondered, wincing a little as Anne's lips touched her cousin's mauve cheek. It was nice of you to come, Lilla. Well, I chucked something bang up for you, said Lilla coolly. It was evidently her pride to be perpetually invited, perpetually swamped in a multiplicity of boring engagements. She looked about her again, and then dropped into an armchair. "'Mercy! You have cleared the decks,' she remarked. "'Ain't there going to be any more furniture than this?' "'Oh, the furniture's all outside, and the pictures, too,' Anne said, pointing to the great window. "'What? Brooklyn Bridge? Oh, Lord! Oh, but I see!' You kept the place clear for dancing. Oh, good girl, Anne. Can I bring in some of my little boys sometimes? Is that a pianola? She added, with a pounce toward the grand piano in a shadowy corner. I like this kindergarten, she pronounced. Nolly Tresselton laughed. If you come, Anne won't let you dance. You'll all have to sit for her for hours and hours. Well, we'll sit between the dances, then. Ain't I gonna have a latchkey, Anne? She stood leaning against the piano, sipping the cocktail someone had handed her, her head thrown back, and the light from a shaded lamp striking up at her columnar throat and the green glitter of her earrings, which suggested to Kate Clefane the poisonous antennae of some giant insect. Anne stood close to her, slender, erect, her small head clasped in close braids, her hands hanging at her sides, dead white against the straight, dark folds of her dress. There was something distinctly unpleasant to Kate Clefane in the proximity of the two, and she rose and moved toward the piano. As she sat down before it, letting her hands drift into the opening bars of a half-remembered melody, she saw Lilla, in her vague, lounging way, draw nearer to Anne, who held out a hand for the empty cocktail-glass. The gesture brought them so close that Lilla, slightly drooping her head, could let fall, hardly above her breath, but audibly to Kate, 
he's back again he bothered the life out of me to bring him here today again kate saw that quick drop of her daughter's lids this time it was accompanied by a just perceptible tremor of the hand that received the glass nonsense lilla well what on earth am i to do about it i can't get the police to run him in can i anne laughed the faintest half-pleased laugh of impatience and dismissal oh you may have to she said nolly tressleton in the interval had glided up and slipped an arm through lilla's come along my dear there's to be no dancing here to-day her little brown face had the worn sharp look it often took on when she was mothering lilla but lilla's feet were firmly planted i don't budge until i get another cocktail one of the young men hastened to supply her and anne turned to her other guests a few minutes later the tresseltons and lilla went away and one by one the remaining visitors followed leaving mother and daughter alone in the recovered serenity of the empty room but there was no serenity in kate that half-whispered exchange between lilla gates and anne had stirred all her old apprehensions and awakened new ones the idea that her daughter was one of lilla's confidence was inexpressibly disturbing yet the more she considered the less she knew how to convey her anxiety to her daughter oh if only i knew how intimate they really are what she really thinks of lilla for the first time she understood on what unknown foundations her fellowship with anne was built were they solid would they hold was anne's feeling for her more than a sudden girlish enthusiasm for an agreeable older woman the kind of sympathy based on things one can enumerate and may change one's mind about rather than the blind warmth of habit she stood musing while anne moved about the studio putting away the music straightening a picture here and there and this is where you're going to work anne nodded joyously lilla apparently expects you to turn it into a dance hall for her benefit oh poor lilla she can't see a new room without wanting to fox-trot in it life for her wherever she is consists in going somewhere else in order to do exactly the same thing kate was relieved there was no mistaking the half disdainful pity of the tone well don't give her that latch-key she laughed gathering up her furs anne echoed the laugh oh there are only to be two latch-keys yours and mine she said and mother and daughter went gaily down the steep stairs the days after that moved on with the undefinable reassurance of habit kate clefane was beginning to feel herself part of an old established routine she had tried to organize her life in such a way that it should fit into anne's without awkward overlapping and nowadays after her early canter went daily to the studio and painted till lunch sometimes as the days lengthened she went back for another two hours work in the afternoon when the going was too bad for her morning ride she usually walked to the studio and kate sometimes walked with her or went through the park to meet her on her return 
when she painted in the afternoon kate would occasionally drop in for tea and they would return home together on foot in the dusk but mrs clefane was scrupulously careful not to intrude on her daughter's working hours she held back not with any tiresome display of discretion but with the air of caring for her own independence too much not to respect anne's sometimes now that she had settled down into this new way of life she was secretly aware of feeling a little lonely there were hours when the sense of being only a visitor in the house where her life ought to have been lived gave her the same drifting uprooted feeling which had been the curse of her other existence it was not anne's fault nor that in this new life every moment was not interesting and even purposeful since each might give her the chance of serving anne pleasing anne in some way or another getting closer to anne but this very feeling took a morbid intensity from the fact of having no common memories no shared associations to feed on kate was frightened sometimes by its likeness to that other isolated and devouring emotion which her love for chris had been everything might have been different she thought if she'd had more to do or more friends of her own to occupy her but anne's establishment which had been her grandmother's still travelled smoothly enough on its own momentum and though the girl insisted that her mother was now the head of the house the headship involved little more than ordering dinner and talking over linen and carpets and curtains with old mrs clefane's housekeeper then as to friends was it because she was too much engrossed in her daughter to make any or because her life had been too incommunicably different from that of her bustling middle-aged contemporaries absorbed by local and domestic questions she had no part in or had she been too suddenly changed from a self-centred woman insatiable for personal excitements into that new being a mother her centre of gravity in a life not hers she didn't know she felt only that she no longer had time for anything but motherhood and must be content to bridge over as best she could the unoccupied intervals and after all the intervals were not many her daughter never appeared without instantly filling up every crevice of the present and overflowing into the past and the future so that even in the mother's rare lapses into despondency life without anne like life before anne had become unthinkable she was revolving this for the thousandth time as she turned into the park one afternoon to meet anne on the latter's way homeward the days were already much longer the difference in the light and the premature languor of the air which comes in america before the sleeping earth seems to expect it made mrs clefane feel that the year had turned that a new season was opening in her new life she walked on with the vague sense of confidence in the future which the first touch of spring gives the worst of the way was past how easily how smoothly to the feet where misunderstanding and failure had been so probable she was increasingly sure of having understood and succeeded and already she and anne were making delightful plans for the spring ahead of her in a transverse alley 
she was disagreeably surprised by the sight of Lilla Gates. There was no mistaking that tall, lounging figure, though it was moving slowly away from her. Lilla, at that hour in the park? It seemed curious and improbable. Yet Lilla it was, and Mrs. Clefane's conclusion was drawn immediately. Who is she waiting for? Whoever it was hadn't come. The perspective beyond Lilla was empty. After a moment she hastened her step and vanished behind a clump of evergreens at the crossing of the paths. Kate did not linger to watch for her reappearance. The incident was too trifling to fix the attention. After all, what had one ever expected of Lilla but that she might be found loitering in unlikely places in quest of objectionable people? There was nothing new in that, nor did Kate even regret not having a glimpse of the objectionable person. In her growing reassurance about Anne, Lilla's affairs had lost whatever slight interest they once offered. She walked on, but her mood was altered. The sight of Lilla lingering in that deserted path had called up old associations. She remembered meetings of the same kind, was it her own young figure she saw fading down those far-off perspectives? Well, if it were, let it go. She owned no kinship with that unhappy ghost. Serene, middle-aged, respected and respectable, she walked on again out of that vanishing past into the warm, tangible present. And at any moment now she might meet Anne. She had turned down a wide walk leading to one of the Fifth Avenue entrances of the park. One could see a long way ahead. There were people coming and going. Two women passed with some noisy children racing before them. A milliner's boy, whistling, his boxes slung over his shoulder, a paralytic pushing himself along in a wheeled chair. Then, coming toward her from the direction of Fifth Avenue, a man who half stopped, recognized her, and raised his hat. End of chapter seven. End of book one.